Hey Weston, welcome to our sermon podcast of the week. If you've been blessed with our ministry and you want to support us financially, you can do so through westonroadchurch.com forward slash give. of God is alive and active, and it cuts straight through the fluff, straight through the facade that we could put on, especially when we gather in church with other Christians, and it looks like everyone has their life all well put together, Uh, but God's Word has the ability to cut straight through, even to the bone and marrow, the Bible says it like that, And, and that's where God desires His Word to reach today. Not the surface part of who you are, but the the very center of your being, your heart and your soul. And that's where we pray that the seed of God's word lands today in your heart. We're just wrapping up a mini series on relationships. Uh, We started with Relationship Conference at the beginning of this month. Last week, I brought a message entitled Best Friends. And we talked about the importance of having godly friends in your life. We talked about some of those characteristics of what godly friendship looks like. So if you weren't here, you could head to our YouTube channel. You can find those videos, watch last week's sermon, and uh, catch up and be up to speed on all of that. But today, the sermon title, and I do encourage you to take notes, the sermon title is simply this, Strength in Numbers. Strength in Numbers. In numbers, we said best friends, you're going to only have a few. But there's also value in being around people, like-minded, like-spirit people. Yesterday at the men's breakfast was a moment like that. Where it's like, hey, you know what? We're going to build relationships, hopefully, through these men's breakfasts. Where when life gets hard, there are people who can hold my hands and my arms up. So just a question. Can I, have, I need two volunteers. Because I'm a man, I'll say two men. Anyone? I, I'm not going to call you by name, but you have to. Okay, Brother James at the back, come quickly. I need one more person. All right, Clovis, come quickly. Join me on the platform. Just when I say strength in numbers, now I hope, I hope none of you are going to fail at this. <laughs> so one, one on each side of me, right here, one on each side. So what you're going to do is, come here, we're going to link arms right here. No, no, this way. Yeah. <laughs> and what I'm going to do, because this is like what my little kids do, is I'm going to lift my feet off the ground because I'm tired, I'm weak. But you got to hold all 200 pounds of me up. Strong arms. Ready? Don't let me fall. (laughs) Amen. So just hold on a second. Strength in numbers. There are days that will come where I might not have the strength to be standing on my own. And I need my brother Clovis here and my brother James who say... John, I'm not even saying pastor, just John, we got your back. I need friends in my life who, oh, I'm feeling a little weak today. And they're going to hold me up. They're going to say, no, 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 keep going. Yeah, but every excuse, oh, (laughs) they're not going to let me fall. There's strength in numbers. And I need you to catch the visual And could we just give them a hand? Thank you, brothers. You can have a seat. 
They had no idea what I was going to ask them to do, but their strength in numbers. You ever feel like that sometimes? Like sometimes it's backwards, sometimes I'm falling forward. If you fall, some of you, you've become so good because you've been doing life alone that you pull yourself up because you're tough. And you were always taught, you know, if you get knocked down, you just get up again and you keep going. That's, that's a great thing to have ingrained a great mindset. But why even fall all by yourself when you can surround yourself with people And because of the context today, I'm going to say with your brothers and sisters here at church, where our heart is, no, 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 I don't want to see anyone fall. Instead, let's link up and we're going to hold each other up and we can march forward together. You know, I'm not, I can't speak on the military side of that, that picture, but I do understand you link arms, you can march forward together. It doesn't matter how tired you might feel. They're going to push you and they're going to pr prompt you and prod you to keep on going. There is strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers. Proverbs 14 verse 4 says this. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. I'm going to read that again. Without oxen, plural, without oxen, plural, a stable stays clean. How many of you like a clean house, a clean life with no problems, no messes to clean up? You just like it clean, neat and tidy. It's like, don't touch it. Don't sit there. You know, we clean the house. We have three kids. I, I feel that. It's like, I just cleaned. I just mopped the floor. Why are there crumbs everywhere? But in our friendships and relationships, we can get like that. So, so hear this. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. So on the other side, though, of that equation, it says, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. There's a few areas, actually many, several areas, where you can apply this principle, this verse. At, at Weston, on the inside, we don't say this externally, But we say, and we have this phrase, it's a joy to shovel. It's a joy to shovel, not because it's winter. But Proverbs 14, verse 4, in the idea of without oxen, the stable stays clean. But we want a harvest, and a harvest of souls. We want a harvest, which means the stable's not going to stay clean. We're going to have a lot of oxen here. And so we need a lot of oxen. In our language, for church, it's people. But as you add and multiply people, you also get multiplication of problems. So when we say it's a joy to shovel, it's not saying that you're poop. Or it's, but, but in the context of the oxen, that's what the verse is actually saying. We, we, you know, if, if you have no animals in the barn, it's going to stay clean. But if you want a big harvest... You need all the animals there. Therefore, it's a joy to shovel. It's a joy to clean the poop and pick it up, the, clean the mess and all of that. Why? Because of what's waiting on the other side. And in our relationships, some of you, you can't get over the fact I said poop. And it's a joy to shovel it. Let's be mature Christians here. Right? 
In our relationships, some of us, we've closed the door to relationships and we hear, oh yeah, there's strength in numbers, great illustration of how you kicked your feet up, but we still are going to choose to do life alone because we are afraid of the mess. And I alluded a little bit to this last Sunday, so I'm not going to camp here too long, but in, in so doing, I think we've also shut the door to the relationships that we need where God is going to help us, but we have to be willing to shovel, some, get some cleaning spray and clean up some messes. It's a joy to shovel. It's a joy to have relationships that are there and friends that are going to help me when I'm about to fall, but they're going to hold tight. But then there's some messes we're going to have to clean up along the way because that's just the nature of how we're wired and who we are. And we have to be willing to be vulnerable, to be open, for strength in numbers to actually mean something good for us. So there is strength in numbers, but there's, there has to be a willingness for me to open up my heart, open up my life a little bit more, and to allow people into my world. Not best friends, but allow them into your world where you can start to be open with them and say, hey, I really need some help here. Doesn't mean you have to spill your guts and tell them every single detail. It just means, hey, can you pray with me? I'm just walking through something hard. And a friend will say, absolutely. And because you didn't share any details, I don't need to know them. I'm just willing to pray. And so there is strength in numbers. And if you have your Bible, would you open to Luke chapter 5? Luke chapter 5. I'm going to turn there with you. Luke chapter 5. And... There's a few verses I want to read before we get to our main text. So I want to look at Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. And here's what it says. Jesus is speaking. We'll have it on the screen. It's in the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, who've got it all together, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So Jesus is saying, guys, healthy people, they don't need the doctor. It's the sick people that do. And that's why Jesus was very intentional with who he was within reach of. And so he was very missional. He had uh, people on his heart. He had a compassion for those people. And this understanding would inform the kind of people Jesus would do life with. The people that he would be within reach of. And so listen, his disciples, he didn't go after those who were affluent. Those who had everything and were well put together. Those who were educated. His disciples weren't top scholars either. They were stinky fishermen and crooked tax collectors. You have to think about that. Those are the people Jesus said, hey, come and follow me and I'll teach you. Instead of fishing for fish, I'll teach you to fish for people. And, and the Bible says at, the, at that invitation, they left everything and followed him immediately. It's amazing when, when Jesus called them and attached a greater purpose to their life, they, they immediately followed him. And I want you to know Jesus is still doing the same today. 
that he's calling men and women, young and old alike, he's no respecter of persons, status, all of that stuff, but he's calling people and saying, hey, would you follow me? And I'm going to attach a greater purpose to your life than you've ever known before. And he needs people. So even Jesus didn't go about his earthly life or ministry as a lone ranger. Could he have done it? I'm pretty sure. He was talented enough. He was anointed enough that he could have done all of it on his own. But even Jesus didn't choose to do it alone. So if Jesus chose to do life with people, because there's strength in numbers, why do you think you could do it alone and be a lone ranger Christian? That's not God's way. That's not the way of Jesus. Therefore, that's not the way I have to go about my life. Jesus is about relationship, not about religion. It's all about relationship. And Jesus came, put on flesh. John tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so that's Jesus, the living word. And he chose to do life with people. And then he told them, everything you've seen me do, you're going to do and greater. So everything Jesus did with people had a purpose. It wasn't just, let me hang around with these messy, broken people because, I don't know, I, these people are too spiritual. These people are too religious. No, he said, they need what I have. And it wasn't a pride thing. It was a compassion thing. And he said, I'm, they need healing, I'm, I'm going to heal them. They need saving, I'm going to save them. They need encouragement, I'm going to encourage them. Their, their head will be higher than anything they've ever seen before. And they will never be the same again. And so Jesus had all of this understanding, and it informed the life that he lived on earth. And by the way, he had only three years of ministry. Only three years of ministry, and he poured his life into the, the 12 disciples. And then there were three, Peter, James, and John, that were in his inner circle, if we want to borrow that language, that were in his inner circle, that he shared the grief, you know, leading up to the cross. And he said, man, this is really hard. He's like, watch and pray. And I'm gonna, he went a little further, they would fall asleep. He could have said, you youth, useless people, like, I poured my life into you. We did ministry together. He did say, like, can't you stay awake, pray? But he didn't say, forget you guys. You're not worth my time. I'm just going to go solo from this point on. Some of us, we've done that. We said, I've tried it with people, pastor. It doesn't work. doesn't work. I'm just better, me and Jesus, just me and Jesus. And I'd say, well, don't deceive yourself. Just because maybe you had one or two bad experiences with friendships doesn't mean they're all bad. You know, look at our jobs. Maybe you had a really bad boss one day and then you get this next job and you're like, oh my goodness, it's night and day. Like, I really like my job. I really like the people. I really like my boss, right? We give other opportunities a chance, but then when it comes to friendships, it's like one and done. And that Jesus could have been, he had full permission to make that decision could have said you guys still don't get it oh ye of little faith like we see some of this happening but Jesus never gave up on them he saw the potential he said no 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 I need you guys as much as you need me and then he empowered them to go and do what he was called to do
It's amazing when you stop and think about Jesus. There's strength in numbers. And he said again, I have not come for the healthy, but for the sick. Do you have patience today in your friendships? Not just for the healthy people in your life, but even for the sick people. The ones who are like, why am I even friends with them still? Do you have patience? Do you have compassion? Because maybe you're the Jesus that they need to see. You need the patience. You know, Jesus was concerned with the outsiders. Jesus, again, it, all of this informed, his understanding informed who he was within reach of. So Jesus was concerned with the outsiders, the coke addict with powder still on his nose maybe, the alcoholic with a hangover from yesterday's binge perhaps, or partying, the prostitute who's selling her body or his body, the rich who don't know what to do with their money or their lives, the poor who don't know what to do with their lives as well. Jesus' heart was for these people. And it still has to be the same today through his church. And so with Luke chapter 5, um, with that foundation, he didn't come for healthy, but for the sick. I want to land now on our main text, which is Luke chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we read this, if you're able to, in honor of God's word and in reverence of his word. And here's what it says. One day while Jesus was teaching, verse 17, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. Sorry, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Why does he think, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that our hearts are primed and ready to hear Now I ask that your anointing would be upon me as I deliver your word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. You know, it's an interesting story in Scripture. And in fact, you can find this account 
Uh, it's also recorded in, in the three synoptic gospels. So it's Matthew chapter 9, you'll find this story. Mark chapter 2, and then where we read it from Luke chapter 5. It's recorded in these synoptic gospels. And I want to break the message, today's message, into three simple parts. The first one is Jesus is preaching. Jesus is preaching. And so Jesus is here at this house. The Bible tells us that they were in Capernaum. This is the headquarters of Jesus' ministry. So HQ, if you will. So he would go around, preach, teach, go on a boat, cross the Sea of Galilee. But he would come back to Capernaum. This is HQ. And so as he's arriving, there's a group of people, a crowd of people, the Bible says. They're all showing up now because they're pressing in. They're hungry for the truth. They've heard what Jesus has been doing is preaching, teaching, and miracles and signs and wonders. And the crowd is attracted to that kind of stuff. And, and by the way, it's still true today. Miracles, signs, and wonders, people are drawn to that because it is not common. And so when people are healed, it is a big deal. And in fact, we've had testimonies here in this church from the last month or two about what God has been doing, how He's been healing people. Can you say amen? Amen. And it's amazing, and, and we don't give man any credit for that. It is God's alone. And Jesus is still the healer today. And so while he's preaching, because this is what we're focusing on in this first part of the message, while he's preaching, you need to understand this, that Jesus' words were anointed with three things, authority, weight, and power. There's authority as he's preaching because they've never heard someone preach or teach like this. And as they're hearing such authority, they're drawn in. Like we've never heard anyone else before talk like this. There was authority. There is weight. There's weight to his words. You know, my prayer this morning is you would feel something shift here. There's a weight to the word that when you receive it with an open heart, that it transforms you. But for, I remember when I was young and I would feel there was like a stirring, almost like an uneasiness. And if you've never been in church and you feel that, you think it's like, what's wrong with my stomach? What's going on? Why, it almost feels like I'm nervous here. It's actually the Holy Spirit who's speaking to you and like, you know, putting his finger on your life. And he's trying to get your attention. So it's, don't dismiss that if you feel that today. But there's a weight to Jesus' words. And there's an anointing that is on the church. And those who surrender their lives to, to God and through his Holy Spirit. That my words this morning also carry weight. Not because of who I am. But I'm submitting myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. And I say, Lord, I'm just your mouthpiece today. Therefore, speak through me, and, and the words should have authority, and they should have weight attached to them. And then thirdly, power. The power. And the power is there to transform you from the inside out. And again, it's not human effort, but it's what God does through His Holy Spirit, through yielded vessels. Jesus was no different in His preaching 
not just authority, weight, and power, but I just added in parentheses in my notes, but also there was love in his words, because the Bible said he had compassion for the people that were in front of him, and there was a genuineness to who he was. You know, I know from experience, people can smell when you're fake. People can smell from a mile away when something is not authentic. And I've just been become very comfortable knowing that there are far better preachers than me, that there are far more anointed preachers than me, people who have way more years of experience and education, if I can go there. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I, don't, I used to compare myself to other pastors. And I just said, and I realized there's only one John Manna. There's only one Jonathan. And I said, Lord, help me to be who you created me to be. And, and, and there's a genuineness about Jesus' ministry, and it should be felt about you. You know, Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor in the U.S., he puts it this way, uh, and I've adopted this as well. You've heard me say this. I'd, I, I'd rather be a leader who's always real than one who's always right. And so... I won't get everything right. Our church board knows that. Our staff knows that firsthand. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm humble enough to say, hey, we got it wrong this time. I got it wrong. We're going to make good on this now and be better. And so Jesus, there was a love as well, but also a genuineness about him. He actually cared. And may we be the same if we call ourselves Christians and God puts people in our paths, maybe it's a one-off conversation or maybe it's these are the friends that I'm supposed to be walking linked up with in the faith that I'm real and that I'm genuine and I really actually care because people can smell fake from a mile away. Mark chapter 2 Verses 1 and 2, so again, this is jumping in between because this story is recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. But Mark 2 tells us that Jesus and a bunch of people were gathered in this house as Jesus was preaching to them. But I also want to say, by the way, it wasn't Jesus' influence that drew the crowd. You know, it's like, oh, you remember the, when we were about to pray and I said the story about the restaurant and the hockey players, Right? If you found out your favorite celebrity, whatever, influencer was somewhere, I'm pretty sure you'd make an effort. Maybe it's a chef, right? Celebrity chef. And you're like, oh, I'm going to go. I want to get the signature of this picture I have. Whatever that looks like. We've all done it, I hope. I know I have. But here's the thing. It wasn't Jesus' influence that drew the crowd. I want to draw a distinction. It was his anointing authority and power. That's what drew the crowd. And, and don't get me wrong, your giftings can fill a room. We have very talented people at Weston, but your gifting alone will not change people's lives. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage off of people. So we love talent. We recognize that God gives his people talent, time, and treasure, and we should use those three and steward them carefully for his honor, for his glory. But we need the anointing present on our gifts, on our talents, on our time, on our treasure, so that we could see eternal outcomes, supernatural outcomes. And so the gifts, they could fill this room. They could give us many thousands and millions of views online as well. 
but it's only the anointing that'll make an eternal difference and break the yoke of bondage off of people. So that's what we're actually after. And by the way, it's not either or. If you want to join Dream Team, you can't say, I'm anointed, but I, I can't sing. But can I be on the worship team? But I'm anointed. Or say, well, no, it, it, there's got to be skill and there's got to be anointing. And not just worship. I'm saying in every ministry, we want to bring our best but then surrender to the anointing and say, God, my natural plus your super makes the outcome supernatural. And so that's what really we're going for. But it wasn't Jesus's influence that drew the crowd in the home and filled it. It was the authority. It was the anointing that was on him and the power that was on display. And so here's Jesus. He's preaching in this house. Luke 5, 17, we read it, but it, it reminds us that the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. So there was a special anointing as he was preaching that day for, for this miracle working power to be on display for healing. And it also tells us in verse 17 that the Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. And if you ever wanted to know who the critics were in the room, it would have been the Pharisees. And they're like, Hmm. hmm, what's he going to say this time? He's got a room full of people. Hmm. And it's almost like they were, you know, evaluating him. But really, they were critical. And, and they were waiting for him to say blasphemy, blasphemous things. And that's, in, in fact, what they said in our story. And they were looking to see who is this guy because he's drawing all the crowd now. He's the talk of the town. You know, you want to talk about the buzz? It was around Jesus, no longer them. And so they were critical of his ministry and they were watching him to see him slip up to say, aha, see, he's an imposter. Or see, he's just, you know, leading the people astray. And, and the Pharisees cared a lot about the law. In fact, the scribes, they were known for their theological acumen. So they were Pharisees and scribes. So they knew the law. But you know what I love about Jesus? He said of himself, I didn't come to abolish the law. I actually came to fulfill the law. So Jesus wasn't here to say, ah, away with you and everything you know about the Old Testament. He actually came to say, well, I'm the fulfillment of everything you've been reading and waiting for. So check this out. The Pharisees come to hear Jesus. And a little more about them. The Pharisees took their religion very seriously. I said religion, and I want to emphasize their religion very seriously. They cared about the letter of the law, but overlooked the spirit of the law. And so they were so anxious not to break God's commandments that they put a fence about the law. This is the law. This is how we do it. There was like a fence all around it. This hedge around all the provisions of the law had the unfortunate result of externalizing religion. And so instead of it being about the heart, it actually became about the behavior. Because you had to follow the law. And so they would look, oh, see what he did? See what she did? Oh, oh. no, they're breaking the law. And everything became this external manifestation, this outward thing that God never intended it to be. And, and we call that a religious spirit. People then put a good deal of effort on the outward without necessarily coming to love God in their hearts. And that's why they had a problem with Jesus' ministry. 
Because he said, you guys are all caught up in the letter of the law and you're missing the heart part, which is the spirit of the law. Matthew Henry comments this way, how many are there in the midst of our churches where the gospel is preached that do not sit under the word, but sit by the word? Meaning, it's kind of like, you know, when I sit under the word, I receive. When I sit by the word, it's kind of like it misses me every time. And that's the caution. We have to be careful. But remember, back to strength in numbers. So number one is Jesus is preaching. Number two, we, uh, Jesus sees faith. Jesus sees faith. And in verses 18 and 19, you know, in Luke 5, it says, Some men came, but in Mark chapter 2, it's a little more specific. It says, Four men came carrying a man on a mat. Now, growing up as a kid in church, we used to go to Sunday school. How many of you remember Sunday school? It used to happen like an hour before church service, and we would learn stories. I remember this story, but I, the way I remember it was like four friends, right? Anyone think or still say that? Four friends were ca- you know, carrying their friend um, on a mat to Jesus. The Bible doesn't specifically identify them as friends. However, I will still say the title of the sermon is true. There is strength in numbers. If they were only three, could they have carried the mat in the same way? Sorry, say it louder. What? Okay, we're all convinced. Right. There are four corners to a mat, at least in the mats that I'm thinking in my head. And if someone's sitting on it, we need all four corners lifted so that we can carry this person on the mat. And so there is strength in numbers, and you can apply it to the context of the relationships in your life. So I'm not saying that these are four friends. I'm not saying that all five of them were friends. All I'm saying is there is strength in numbers. And so the house, by the way, was full. We read that. But houses usually had a flat roof. But then there was an external staircase that would lead to the roof. And imagine these four guys plus the one in the middle on the mat. And they get there and they realize, oh my goodness, like we, I don't know how far they carried this guy, but they got to the venue. (laughs) They got to the house and now there's no opportunity. Everything is full. What do you do? What if one guy said, guys, we just wasted all of our energy. Let's go back home. Strength in numbers could also say, but maybe the three were like, no way. Where there's a will, there's got to be a way. That's what my mom always told me. Where there's a will, there's got to be a way. So it says they go up to the roof and they start taking off these tiles. They start pulling off the tiles. So could you imagine the courage, the tenacity and the boldness these guys have? And so they they start removing tiles from the roof. And the Bible says, so remember, who's preaching? Jesus is preaching. There's an anointing. There's authority. There's power. It's a packed house. And all of a sudden, you start hearing like some noise from the, the ceiling right above. And maybe there's like dust and stuff falling down as they're making this hole. And I'm sure Jesus probably stopped and was like, hmm, okay. Let's see where this is going. 
And it says that they lowered their friend on the mat right down in front of Jesus. If you take notes, I want you to write this down. What's the straightest path to Jesus? And here's the answer. Laying your life down at his feet. What's the straightest path to Jesus? Laying your life down at his feet. And that's a sign of humility. It's a sign of saying, God, this is where I belong. And I'm borrowing it, obviously, from the picture, the imagery of him being lowered right at the feet of Jesus. But instead of seeing this lame man on a mat, you know what Jesus sees? It's point number two. What does he see? Faith. Everyone else in the room, what do they see? They see the man. They see an interruption. They see an unholy disturbance, maybe. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I see faith. I see courage. I see the boldness that these guys have that they said, there's no way we're not getting our friend to see Jesus today. They, there was a faith stirring in their hearts. And so here's, here's the application for you and me. Though we might look and, you know, there might be faith stirring in your heart to do something radical for Jesus, but maybe there's this voice, I call it the subconscious, and it's speaking to you saying, yeah, but what, don't you know what everyone's going to start saying and thinking about you? That's the crowd. That's the crowd. Who cares about the crowd? They're just there for themselves anyway. Because they're drawn by the authority, the power, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. Who cares about the crowd? Jesus sees the faith. If Jesus sees the faith, my question for you is, does he see the faith inside of you today? There's strength in numbers. Some of you are like, I have very little left. Maybe it's time you link up with people who have stronger faith than you. And allow them to lead you along even though you feel weak and tired because there's strength in numbers. There's no way this lame man would have ended up at the feet of Jesus had he not had these guys around him to bring him. Can someone say amen? amen. Jesus sees faith. It takes a decision, but coupled with faith. We're going to do this anyway. Yeah, but what are people going to... It doesn't matter. We're going to do it anyway. Jesus sees faith. Sometimes people, they'll see it as an interruption. It's okay. I give you permission. Jesus sees faith. Jesus sees faith. You want a few more examples before I get to the last part and we start wrapping this up? There's the woman with the issue of blood, Luke chapter 8. Don't have time to read it. She had an issue of blood, meant she was flowing. And in those days, that meant she was unclean. She should not be around people. But the Bible says she pressed through the crowd and said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. And she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Remember, there are people all around and Jesus stops. And he says to his disciples who were right next to him, who touched me? And they're like, Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? There are all these people around. It's a dumb question. And she said, no, I felt healing virtue flow out of me. He turns around and the woman is there and she's trembling because she's like, I'm not supposed to be in public around a whole bunch of people. I'm deemed unclean because of this problem I have. 
but Jesus sees faith. And she was healed, and the Bible says immediately the blood stopped flowing. And so she was healed in that instant. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Jesus sees faith. There's one more story, Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus. You know, another Sunday school song we used to sing. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. But it says he climbed up a sycamore tree. It doesn't really say he was short in the Bible. It just says he couldn't see Jesus. Why? There were crowds there. He climbs up this fig sycamore tree so that he could get a better look at Jesus. And of all the people, Jesus is walking by and he stops. And he says, by name, by the way, Zacchaeus, come down from there. And everyone's like, uh-oh, does Jesus know who he's talking to? Because he was a sinner. He was a crooked tax collector. And Jesus said, come down. I must come to your house today. And I must be a guest in your home. And Jesus goes to his house. And the, the crowd has their own thoughts and opinions. But his life was never the same again. And all the money he stole, he said, I'm going to give back four times as much. So you can imagine the wealth that he accumulated illegally by stealing it but then he said I'm gonna I'm gonna give back four times the amount that I've taken from each person Jesus sees what faith Jesus he didn't go to anyone else's house that day but Zacchaeus and he was transformed from the inside out how do we know because if God if Jesus that day didn't address the issue of his heart he would have never in his right mind given away all that money. You get, you get the drift? Jesus cares about the heart. And so Jesus sees faith and then he responds. The third, um, sorry, Jesus sees faith. Point number three is Jesus responds to faith. And I'm going to invite uh, Francesca back on the keys as we wrap up the message today. Jesus responds to faith. Jesus' first words have to deal with Sin, not sickness. Because here's this lame man who needed the strength of his friends to drop him down in front of Jesus. And you would think Jesus would go, oh, okay, wh what do we have here? Who do we have here? Okay, he can't walk, so I should pray for his healing and command him to stand up. And he didn't do that. He addressed the issue of sin first. Yeah. And, and I think there's some... Um, some deeper things that we have to consider in this story. Jesus' first words have to deal with sin and not sickness. And what the incident is intended primarily to bring out is that the authority of Jesus and religion starts with the forgiveness of sins. This is where Jesus started his ministry with. It's about the problem of sin. That's why he came in the first place. He had to reconcile a broken, sinful people to back to a holy God. Otherwise, our sin is, is like this big gap and we can't go before God because He is holy and we have a problem called sin. But Jesus came and He addresses first sin. Not the sickness that He couldn't walk, but He says to Him, He goes, your sins are forgiven. And that ruffled the feathers of the Pharisees and the scribes. And they're like, oh. We knew it. See, we were waiting and he slipped up. Who does he think he is that he could forgive sins? 
Only God can. They weren't wrong, by the way. I want to I clarify and specify a little more. Jesus doesn't bring partial salvation. It is spiritual as well as physical. So he started where it matters most, but it ended with a very practical physical healing as well. Not just the soul, but then also the body. In verse 21, the Pharisees correctly see that only God can forgive sin. They correctly see that, but incorrectly assume that Jesus is guilty of blasphemy because they're just considering him as a regular, ordinary guy, but he's not. And the Bible tells us in verses 22 and 23 that Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking as he said those words. And on the surface, listen to this, on the surface, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because who could tell if it happened or not? Right? It's a lot harder to say, get up and walk. So Jesus He's very intentional by saying, first, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees are all riled up. You have to see the picture for a second. They're like, that's blasphemy. But if Jesus just would have said, get up and walk, they would have all known. But now that they're all curious as to, oh my goodness, who does he think he is? Then Jesus says to him, not only are your sins forgiven, but you're going to get up and walk. And then he does it. And if he did the second part, which no one else could do that, then we also can conclude that the first part actually happened too. You have to see the connection there. The order is important. Some of you might need physical healing. Let me ask you this. Is, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He cares about your soul. He cares about where you spend eternity. Have you given him your heart? Have you given him your life? Because maybe it's the order that he needs aligned first to unlock the second part. Can he do it the other way around? Sure. I've heard stories of people who had zero faith in God and they were somehow touched and healed in their body and as a result believed that God is what they were missing from their, their life the whole time and gave their hearts to him. Verse 24, Jesus performs the cure that they may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. His words about forgiveness and healing go together. They're not separate. So if you can do one, like I said, you can do the other. And here's, here's why it's important. The Jews in that day thought that all sickness was due to sin. You, you get this picture now? So check this. Oh, this guy's lame. He can't walk. What sin did he commit? What sin did he commit? So when Jesus addresses the sin first, he's addressing everyone's assumption in the room. You catch the connection? If it would have just been, well, get up, you're healed. Well, then the, the question of, well, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Who, who sinned here? Because that's what they believed. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, number one. Number two, get up now. You'll never be the same again now. And, and check this. In verse 24, we see the first use of the expression, son 
of man. And Jesus uses it of himself. That's how he referred to himself in the book of Luke. The Son of Man then spoke the word of healing and told the paralytic to take up his bed and go home. So get this picture. The mat had carried the man, but at the end of his encounter with Jesus, the man now carries the mat. And he walks out. The thing that he relied on is now of no consequence, and he's now carrying it in his hands. I believe today that... God wants to do a work in your heart and in your life. The thing maybe that you've been dependent on, you're not going to need anymore because you have Jesus and he's all that you need. I also want to say as Jesus is preaching, and I know we said there's authority, there's anointing, and there's power, there's weight to his words. He sees the faith and then he responds to the faith. That's that's in the room now in front of him. As much as all that is true, in verse 25, we find that the healing did not center around the human Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 25 for a second. And we're going to wrap up. It says, And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home. But who did he praise? It says he was praising God. He was praising God. So it wasn't centered on the human Jesus, but focused on God. And it's amazing when we begin to understand God is the one who gets the glory. Yes, there's strength in numbers, but I thank God at the end of the day that I'm not walking alone. I'm thankful that I know who holds my hand. You know, there's an old hymn that we used to sing. I'm going to land the plane right now. There's an old hymn that we used to sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I want to read the third verse of that hymn. Are we weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care. Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. I want to end today's message as we prepare our hearts for communion. I want to end by bragging on Jesus for a bit. Is that okay? I want to brag on Jesus for a bit. I just began to write yesterday night. I just, I just, all the things, and it's not a comprehensive list. It's just the things that were coming up to my spirit. And I was in a, a spirit of prayer when I was writing this. And so I believe that this is going to encourage you greatly. As we think about Jesus, as we think about his love, as we think about everything that he's done for us. You know, as we close this series on relationships, friendships, you can name it whatever you want. You want some good friendship or relationship advice from me, your pastor? Here it is. Jesus is your best choice. Not saying do life alone, but I'm saying if you don't have Jesus as a friend, he's your best choice. And here is why. He is my wonderful counselor. He is my prince of peace. 
He speaks to storms and they're silenced. He speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey. He invites you to walk on the waters of the stormy sea and extends a hand to pull you to safety. He is a multiplier and a miraculous provider for little is much in his hands. He is my healer and by his stripes I'm healed. He is my sustainer. He is my good shepherd. He is Emmanuel, my God who is with me. He promised to never leave me nor forsake me. He said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. He doesn't abandon you when life gets tough. Instead, he walks with you through the fiery trials of life. He isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He specializes in messy and broken people. With him, nothing shall be impossible. He is God's greatest gift given to us. He is God's one and only son. He willingly laid down his life. No greater love was ever displayed than when he laid his life down for his friends. And that's you and that's me. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His blood will never lose its power. His blood still washes dirty sinners and makes them clean. He is the way to heaven. He has given me access to the throne room of God. His word never fails. He is not dead. He is alive. And he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. His name is above all other names. And his name is Jesus. He is my friend. And he is your friend. Would you stand to your feet with us today? And that wraps up our sermon podcast for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to give us a follow for we'll be posting every single week.